0: Beloved, if you have your Bible there with you this morning, please turn to chapter 11, the book of Hebrews. We're going to read from 23, verse 23, down to the end of the chapter this morning. And of course, we won't be looking at all that. We're just going to be looking at the portion concerning Moses today from verse 23. 3 down to the verse 29, but we'll read the, the whole section. to get a bit of context, okay? Hebrews 11, verse 23, to the end of the chapter. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith Moses when he had grown up refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin for he considered the reproach or he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt Since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses uh, persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though it were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. What more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and afflicted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on the mountains, hiding in caves and in holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith. But they did not receive what had been promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. Amen. Amen. Every time I read that, I'm so challenged in my own faith. We're so, we're so blessed. Heaven here in Finland, we where we have such great freedom. There's some people would say, "Do we really have freedom?" Yeah, we have freedom, beloveds. We have. Sister churches in Iran and Iraq and in Afghanistan today that are on the verge of extinction because the authorities are so heavily against them. People are having to meet in secret, no more than two or three at any time, to worship the Lord on the Lord's Day. They're they're having to flee their homes or their apartments or whatever else. And yet you and I are granted such freedom and such ability. Should we not take advantage of it? Should we not rejoice in it? Should we not, with a guiltless conscience, be greedy with it? Such freedom, such blessing has been given to us. And I think oftentimes we... We neglect it or we become complacent or apathetic with it. We treat it with contempt. This great blessing that God has given us. The freedom that we have been. We don't take full advantage of it. The circumstances and the provision given to us. And we become lazy in it. Lady seen perhaps. Losing that first love. Beloved, as we read this chapter, certainly the end of it, it should be a motivation to us to remain faithful. For we know to whom he's writing to. He's writing to people who are on the edge of compromise. They've had it easy for X amount of years. They've enjoyed blessing for X amount of years. And all of a sudden now, with the stoning of Stephen, there is a... Persecution happening, and perhaps it's the first time really that the church is going through persecution. This letter might be to the first Christians as a community of Christians who are undergoing persecution of any sort. And for they were once considered the respectable, the good living, the the good people, the blessed people, religious people. They were respected. Because of their conservative values and their commitment to family and their commitment to, to the Judaistic ways. They were, you know, more Pharisee than the Pharisees without the hypocrisy. But all of a sudden now, all those hidden animosities, those jealousies, all of those hatred. That the unbelievers have for the believers are beginning to to bubble up and pop out. Beginning to show themselves. And we know at this time, Saul who became Paul. And others like him. He wasn't alone. He's simply the one that the Holy Spirit picked on. But there were others like him. Inquisitors. What's that word I'm looking for? Inquisitors. Thank you, Joel. Inquisitors men who would wander around quizzing people as to the reality of their faith or their connection to this heresy that they considered it. They're the ones that this letter is being written to, this, this sermon was being preached to. They're being challenged as to the, the content and to the extent of their faith. We we, we know history, history shows us that that they were trying to find a middle way. Do you remember the man who came from James, uh, the Judaizers who followed Paul all around? They wanted the ways of of the the Jewish people, the, the, the traditional rituals and all those other things, what it meant for them to be a Jew, what their perception of the Jewish faith looked like. And faith in Christ. Believe in Jesus. But then become a full Jew. More a Jew than the ordinary Jew. A super Jew. And Paul was tortured. By these people. Well they didn't pop out of anywhere. They didn't. You know what I mean. They just did. They had existed before. And indeed Paul had been one of those people. A Judaizer at one point. Not necessarily with Jesus. But one who held. that. A believer in God must embrace the Jewish point of view. But in Christ, we became something new. In Christ, the Jewish believers became something new. There was a a releasing of the old life with all of its man-made traditions, with all of its man-made conditions and restrictions. And there was an embracing of the purity of faith alone in Christ alone. And of course that impacted their lives. They were no longer able to do things that they had rejoiced in doing before. That they took glory in. That they reveled in. They had to stop with the temple worship type thing. with this, the, No longer offering up animals for the sacrifice of sin. We don't really understand how much of a revolution that would have been. For you and I, we're like, well, the giving up of killing a few animals, that's fine. No, this is the rejection of an entire system, of an entire people, of an entire identity. It's the statement saying, oh, my sins are forgiven and I no longer need to do this. And you offering up those animals, well, those animals are not acceptable, God. And all of your effort, all of your good deeds, all of your intentions are worthless, God doesn't hear you. You're apostate and in sin, and there's no hope for you. You're going to hell. Not only you, but all the generations before you that acted as you acted, did as you did with their best intentions, but yet we're not hitting the mark. We're going off astray. We're on a pilgrimage of apostasy. And all of a sudden, the, the uh, messianic Jews, the Jewish Christians, are are making distinction, and they're living it, and they're they're the everyone sees and knows, and the display of the glory of Christ within the church is real. It's not hip, It's not in any shape or form in uh, hypocrisy. It's not false. It's a real. People are being transformed and changed by the gospel. Those men who were sinners have stopped with their sin and there's a transformation. They're beginning to live holy lives which are convicting those people around them. It's an amazing transformation. It's an amazing change. Even just on a, a quiet, Normal level. People are being convicted. And as a result there was persecution. And it didn't necessarily begin with Paul who was Saul going around and arresting people. It would have begun with comments. Criticisms. Cold shoulders. People not inviting you to the family parties. People making other plans. We're going up to the temple this year to celebrate, we would think it like to celebrate Christmas. Going up to the temple this year, um, shall we invite Fred and his family? No. No. And therefore they're they're left out and there's a, a schism, a separation happening. Remember Jesus said, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And he warned his disciples about the weight of being a disciple. Of, of bearing their cross. And that would be that it would, it would separate them. Your the enemies will be those among, from amongst your own household. Father against son. There was a schism. And a difficulty. And it. It, it caused the Christians to waver in their faith. It caused the Christians to be able to, to have to make a stand. And many of them weren't. And so the letter here is written to those to encourage them. And in chapter 11, we are given the great proclamation of the faithful. It's the answering of the question, what does it mean to be in the faith? If you remember in chapter 10, he ends it by the declaration from the Old Testament, the just shall live by faith. Then how do we live by faith? What does a life lived by faith look like? It's a great question. It's a question that I have dealt with a lot here in Finland. When you have a nominal faith population, people, everyone believes. So. They they said to me when they find out I'm a pastor. Apparently, I don't look like a pastor. Uh, and um, and what does a pastor look like? And somebody once said to me, "Not like you." <laughs> I was like oh, okay. okay. Um, and they say, So, what church should you go to? And I said, Well, I'm this church, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and they said, Well, yeah, I belong to the Lutheran church. I go to the Lutheran church. I said, You go to the Lutheran church? Well, I don't go to the Lutheran church. And I say, then we get into this discussion about what, what is faith. I said, You know, Christian isn't just someone who belongs to a church, it's someone who lives their life according to, their, to faith in Christ. What does it look? What does faith look like? And then, of course, when the, the conversation gets a little bit deeper and, and it bites their heart, well, good people normally say, "Well, I'm an, I, I believe in God. I believe in God." As if somehow in some way that automatically means they're going to have. And then I have to, I have to, you have to dig, dig a little bit deeper, and you say, "Well, what does that belief in God look like?" How does this affect your daily life? Does it affect the things that you do or the things that you don't do? Does it affect how you worship? A faith in God is a worshipful faith. Do you worship? Do you attend weekly worship? Do you worship daily? And that's when they call you a Christian jihadist. Oh, that's a bit too extreme. That's a little bit going too far. Uh, my, my, I, I, I have faith, but what they mean is I have a, I believe in God like a small child believes in Santa Claus. That at some point, some time this stranger will come and bring me presents. You see, the Bible doesn't leave any room for doubt what a life lived in faith looks like. We're given here example after example of people who by faith lived their life. And it is given so that you and I might know what is required of us, but also to comfort us that we're not alone. We're not the first to go through these things or to do these things. That from the beginning of creation, it has always been this way. The um, reforming church, the reform church. Although I hate that expression, in Finland is a new thing. At least less than ten, twenty years. More, more or less. We've seen a an explosion of it in the last five, six years, more or less. Um, but before that, it's unknown. And many people who are new to this, they come, they will say, well, this is a new thing. This has never been this way before. We've never experienced, never seen this. We have no history, no ties. And they think all of a sudden that they're the only ones. You know, I don't know if you know Winnie the Pooh. Does anybody know Winnie the Pooh here? You know, do you know, in Winnie the Pooh, they have a character called Tigger. And Tigger bounces around on his tail. thinking the best thing about Tigger's is I'm the only one, you know, that oftentimes we mistakenly as reformed churches are a little bit like Tigger we bounce around happily thinking we're the only one the best thing about us but that's not the truth the truth is it has been this way from the beginning whatever label you want to put on the believers if they have been real and true believers they have lived this life of faith it has been it has been demonstrated Whether they were Reformed or Presbyterian or Church of England or Methodist or whatever, whatever, whatever. If they were true and real believers, these manifestations of faith were made real to them. They lived this way. And today we're looking at Moses The text here begins with, By faith, after he was born, he was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they did not fear the king's edict. Moses' faith didn't begin with himself. It grew from somewhere. If you know Moses' story, it's in under Moses' book again, chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. And it begins with his dad who was a Levite and his mom who was a Levite and they have babies. And, um, and uh, the king, the pharaoh at that time had passed a law because the Israelites were getting too popular. Too many of them. Not popular as in people all like them, but popular as in there were too many of them in the land. They were an immigrant people who had basically taken over Egypt. And there were too many of them. And so the Pharaoh, in his fear, thinking what, what's going to happen is revolution, and they're going to uh, take over the country and rob us of all of our stuff. So in prevention of that, he began an infant side. He began killing the, the boy children of the Israelites. Told the midwives, whenever, it's a child, whenever the child is born, if it's a boy, kill it. The midwives, of course, fearing God, did not do that. They tell Pharaoh, When Pharaoh says, why are you not killing the babies? And Pharaoh says, well, the, the ladies say to Pharaoh, whenever we get there, the baby's already been born. Apparently, the, uh, there was some sort of difference between Israelite women and, and Egyptian women. They said, our women are not like yours. They're vigorous. So they give birth easily, where the, the Egyptian women apparently didn't. I don't know. And then, that goes on, and the Pharaoh observes that that command was not working, so therefore he commands infant side. All boy children of the Israelites at that time were to be put to death. An entire generation of people. An entire generation of children murdered. Some estimates weren't, wasn't just newborns, it was all-boy children from under the age of manhood. So anything from 13 all the way down to baby age, put to death, wiped out, murdered. It wasn't just a case of like late-stage late abortion or whatever that is, you know, that... When the baby was born, they smothered it, strangled it, drowned it. I don't know what they did with it, but whatever. It was all children. All boy children. But in Moses' case, his parents, who were Levites, when Moses was born, they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And they disobeyed the law that had been commanded. And in their faith, they hid him. The Bible says for three months. Moses' mom hid him for three months. But after those three months, it was impossible to hide him. I think he was just too full of life. I think he's one of these children that should have shut up. And I was like, you know, big boy. He just, it was impossible to hide him anymore. And so we know the story. Moses was then, his mom constructed a basket of reeds and she waterproofed it with tar and bitumen, the, the waterproofing. And she put him, if you've seen the, the, the Moses films, you see that she puts him in the river and he goes down through the river and the crocodiles and hippos and the people are doing this. But the Bible doesn't say any of that. The Bible doesn't say any of that. The Bible says she puts him by the, the, the river side in a certain place, among the rushes, but by the by the bank of the Nile. There's no this going through. I always used to think to myself, oh, that's like child abuse. Lord, you can't you can't encourage people to do like just abandon your child in, in on the Nile and full of crocodiles and hippopotamuses and Birds that will, you know, those. Have you seen those big marabou storks? The ones with the bald heads and the big wattles and the giant beaks that eat everything. You know, they'll peck babies to death. I was like, "Lord, you can't do that!" But you know, in reading the text, it doesn't tell you that any of that happened. They put him by the the bank of the Nile, and Moses' mother put Moses' sister there to watch his older sister to watch over him, and in that. Instant Whether it was picked because this was the bathing place of Pharaoh's daughter, I don't know. But Pharaoh's daughter comes and she finds. Him. They hear him crying. I would imagine he's he's very loud, and they hear him crying. They go and they find him and um, and they adopt him. But Noah's. Can okay, I tell you again? Moses' faith. I knew I'd do that. All this week as I've been preparing, i can not Noah. And I said, don't say Noah. Moses' faith was formed through the example of his parents. Do you know what happened when Pharaoh's daughter found Moses in the basket? And there must have been some sort of crowd there. I don't think she was by herself. Royal people are not normally by themselves. They have servants. They have followers. They have people there to make things easier for them. To hold their garments as they're going into the water and give them towels and whatever else. And as they find the body, there's a bit of a crowd. And Noah, Moses' daughter, sister, oh dear me, Noah's sister, not Noah, Moses. I knew I'd do that. I knew I'd have problems. Moses' sister is there. And she says to Pharaoh's daughter, Will I go get one of the Hebrew women? To come in and wet nurse him. To look after him. While he's still a baby. And Pharaoh's daughter's like. Yeah, can make that happen. Make it happen. And so. Moses' sister. Probably Miriam. Goes and finds her mother. And takes them back. And Moses is actually. Raised up. Or parented by his own mother under the protection of Pharaoh's daughter. So he wasn't brought up necessarily in the beginning of his life in Pharaoh's household. But he was brought up in a household of faith. He was brought up by parents who feared God. And lived out that example. So the faith we see in Moses is a faith that he learned from his mama and his dad. It's a faith that wasn't affected or made fearful by the illegal, I say illegal, go, uh, governments of Pharaoh. Pharaoh commanded that there should be genocide or infant side. Now One might say, well, that wasn't illegal. In God's law, that's illegal. But the law of the land said, whatever Pharaoh says goes. The divine right of kings. They were not... Afraid of this. And that should really affect us as adults, whether you have children or you're not, you don't have children, I don't care. As an adult, you bear the responsibility of being the example of faith to the generations that come after you. That those generations that are coming after you might know what it is to live a life of faith that fears God more than anyone or anything else that is willing to take a stand and risk it all in order that the promises and the plan of God might go forward. Even in the face of the state. Even when the state passes a law and it's for everyone's best. It's for the best of the country if we kill all the children. Because our economy can't take the weight for the best of all of our people if we enslave and treat these people badly because, you know, it's for their best. They're animals. They don't know any better. You say, well, Kyle, that could never happen. Have you ever heard of a little thing called the Second World War? And the German and the Polish and the Romanian were the Hungarians. Were they forced a certain people group to be slaves, the Jews, during that time? They saw them as animals. I have seen a hierarchy like a a, a bar graph kind of thing. You know, like a list of the nations from that time. It was uh, from a, an anthropological. A teacher on humanity, and he was teaching about the, the different degrees of humanity. Who's most human? And of course, there in this thing, it said the Aryan people are the most human people. We disagree with that. All people are people, all people are human. But the Aryan people are the most. And then it went down through the different groups, you know, then, uh, and then right down, it, it had at the bottom somewhere, it had the, the, uh, the Jewish people. And then had the, the apes. And they considered the Jews almost like monkeys. Almost like, actually had the Neanderthal people higher up than the Jews. They considered them as, as less than human. They dehumanized them. That explains to us why and why they were able to treat them like, like livestock and slaughter them on wholesale. Because they no longer regarded them as human. As being soulless. Now, we know during the Second World War, many Christians refused to accept the teachings of the Nazi party, the teachings of, of, that were popular in Germany at that time. And, um, and they paid the cost. So, the idea here is that the faith of Moses, <laughs> Moses wasn't an instantaneous and spontaneous thing. He learned it from somewhere. He was given the example of faith. And for us as adults, whether you're parents or not, we all have the responsibility of being the example of faith. That they know how to live as a Christian because they see it with from us. Then the second point, by faith, Moses when he had grown up refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Second point that one who is walking this way of faith one who is in the faith one who has a true and real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ does not Hide it. Does not hide it. They're not embarrassed to be called a Christian. They don't conceal their faith. And so that when you're working so one day it suddenly comes out, you know that you're a Christian, everybody in the office is like, Really? You go to church, you've been working in the same office for twenty years and nobody knows. You, you, you've been you're among your family, you're your friends, and somehow in some way you conceal your faith and you conform onto the identity of this world. You take refuge in order to not endure persecution or for people to think that you're weird or strange or odd. True and real faith identifies with the kingdom, with God's people, with Christ Himself, and does it unashamedly. Please consider the lifestyle that Moses would have enjoyed if he had just gone along. Egypt at that time was the world empire, was one of the, wasn't just the, but it was one of the great world empires that at that time. He would have, it would have been like coming into the Trump family. You know, that kind of thing. Set for life. He, he, he would have worried for nothing. Would have had position and power. An overflow of goods. While the rest of his nation are slaves. Toiling and being used like machines. Treated as soulless beings. He himself could have enjoyed the utmost elite. The highest of the high. Could have walked with kings and all the rest. But yet he didn't. He he wouldn't. Why? Because he had been brought up in such a way where he saw what true real holiness looks like. He had been brought up in a way to understand that Those things of this world, adultery, fornication, schemings, plannings, plottings, the exploitation of the weak, the persecution of God's people, the (sighs) idolatry with all their animal headed gods and all these other things and the, the sacrificing of people and and if you do if you, I, I can't tell you because it's so perverted but if you know of the, the religion of Egypt it is perverse it is it's so perverse I, could, I couldn't tell you even just in private conversation my faith per, per, forbids me from saying the things that they did as an act of, of worship so revolting and he, Moses sees these things and knows instinctively because of his upbringing that when he compares the holiness of his parents to the decadency, to the wickedness of Egypt, to the idolatry, that one is wrong and the other is right and therefore he does not, he fearlessly clings to his Jewish identity, to his God and he refuses. I like that. People would always say, Oh, this is Moses. He's a fair what- what's daughter's son. And he was like, No, no, no. I'm uh, Moses. I was brought up in the household, but I'm Moses, the Israelite. Should challenge us as Christians? In our generation where we fit in so well and invisibly. Now I'm not saying go out, people, and make a fool of yourself. Shaking maracas or a sign or a big billboard, the end is coming, repent. You know. But we should be salt and light in our generation. People should be blinded by the light that comes from us. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday young man whose marriage is coming to an end, uh, really, really sad, really, 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 really sad. And um, we were talking, and, uh, and he asked me, so how, how many years have you been married? And I had to go, oh, I don't know, many years, 20-something, I don't remember, lots and lots of years. And I uh, was like, how, 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 are you, how are you doing that? My, my wife was really, really forgiving. Um, You know, the grace of my wife. Um, But our joint faith keeps us together. Our joint faith, you know, and that commitment to one another in Christ keeps us together. Me desiring to be a better husband. Lifetime of work there. Her desiring to be a better wife. But both of us connected to our king who has commanded us. She sees me as a son of God. I see her as a daughter of God. And we respect one another. It's not always easy. Humans are humans. But there's a commitment there. And this guy couldn't believe it. Couldn't understand it. Couldn't just keep shaking his head. Christ keeps us together. We are to shine. We are to be a salt in the rottenness of our generation. Moses was that. Because he understood and knew that the momentary pleasures of this life, the things that you might get, the the, um, acceptance that might be given to you in this life by Being friends of the world by practicing or turning a blind eye like Lot did in Sodom. To the things of this world. It may grant you some relief. But ultimately it will do you damage. Again think of Lot. Now Lot the Bible tells us was a righteous man. Says in Jude. But we understand and know that he also was a bit of a compromiser. That he turned a blind eye. He knew what was going on in Sodom and in Gomorrah and all the cities of the plain. And yet, you know, he decided to live there and was comfortable living there and did his best. And whenever the angels came and said, flee, he was like, yeah, well, what about this person? What about that person? And he was reluctant to go until the angel literally had to force him from the town despite the riot. I mean, the man was willing to give up his daughters to. A terrible fate. Christian, don't be like Lot. Don't be a compromiser. Don't be one who conceals his faith. Who makes peace with the world in order that you might enjoy blessings and peace. And I mean, a, 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 a false blessing, a false peace with this world. The Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity. Puts you in a state of being God's enemy with God. Beloved, we are told that one who lives and walks in according to the way of faith distances himself from the things of this world and is not ashamed of being made known to be a Christian. To stand for something. I think we, uh, a midweek meeting when I was talking with Andrew, the back there, I mentioned that I was reading um, Mark Dever book this week. And he quotes John Owen in that book. And John Owen was complaining about the church of his generation, saying there is a kind of faith that makes friendship with the world, a kind of gospel that is preached that causes no offense, that causes no one to repent. Where men are able to sit and applaud at the preaching of it. And it brings not the point or the edge of the the word of God against the conscience of men. That's the kind of faith that is proud to identify with Pharaoh's daughter. That encourages us to make peace. That, you know the ear heard that well I, I believe that i can I can affect I can be an influence for good within the organization. I know all the things are difficult and, and, and uh, I know that you know we 're marrying homosexuals and uh, all these other things that are going on. Yes, there may be questions about how we spend our money. Yes, there may be accusations of sexual immorality among our leaders. But I think I can be a, a, a force for good within the movement. I don't, can't tell you how many times I've heard young pastors tell me that. And really what they're saying is, they have all the money and I want to do this as a profession. Therefore, I will close my eyes to all the things that I see that is wrong in order to get a job and to be secure with them. And what they end up doing is sacrificing their faith, sacrificing any kind of moral high ground because they're afraid to speak out because they'll lose their position or their hope or their future for their career. But beloved, you and I, we are not to be tempted by the filthy lucre of this world, by anything that it might offer us through position or influence because we are looking to rewar- a reward that is heavenly, a reward that will come from God Himself, because we are faithful to Him. You and I, in our faith, we are to be those who are looking forward beyond this life, from the things that we can receive from this life—a <coughs> big car, a fancy house. A good reputation. Is that the cost? Is that your 30 pieces of silver? Is that how much it takes for you to give Jesus over? Beloved, then it goes on in verse 27. By faith he left Egypt behind, not afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. (laughs) The idea here is again, you know, Moses. When he was out and about, saw a Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Moses steps in, defends the Hebrew, kills the Egyptian, buries the body. He's out the next day. He sees two Hebrew men fighting. He steps in between the two, and uh, and one of them says, "Are we going to kill me like you killed the other fellow yesterday?" Moses like, oh dear, oh dear, it's known. People are gonna know. The Bible says that Pharaoh heard about it and got angry, and of course, it was against the law to kill uh, for a Hebrew to kill a, a, a an Egyptian, and so a death sentence was passed on Moses. Moses flees the country, goes to Midian. But he does it not just to save his own skin, but he does it because he, he knows that there is a future for him. He leaves the country, but with the confidence to know that the story's not at an end. Now, of course, he goes to the roller coaster of life, but he still has that seed in him that when things are hard, when things are difficult, when things are not going the way he wanted them to, He still had the conviction that God's plans and purposes would be fulfilled. That God isn't limited just to here or there, but he's everywhere. And that he has the ability, despite all of our difficulties, despite all of the, uh, I don't even want to say persecutions, trials, trials. That we would go through. God is still sovereign and he is still in control. And his plans and his purposes for our life and for the church will be fulfilled. He is guarded by that confidence in his faith in who God is. And that he is able to do that which he has said he would do. Verse 28. By faith he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. The Passover is a very interesting meal. Passover was given so that it was their last meal in Egypt. Their last dinner in Egypt. And it was this. And of course we know what happened. They killed the goat, barbecued it. and they, or The goat, the sheep. And they barbecued it. And they had the, the, the unleavened bread. Bread that, that was like for traveling purposes. It was... It was a meal that was, they had to eat it with their clothes on, their belt on, their, they're already dressed. God said, this is it. This is your last night. After tonight, you'll be out. Remember all the, oh, the rest of the plagues had gone on. And every time a plague had happened, Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. I, w- I always wanted to, let my people go. Sorry, that's the uh, Southern Baptist guy in me. Although I'm not Southern Baptist. The, and Pharaoh every single time said no or said yes and then no yeah I don't know and the door closed every single time and it looked hopeless the situation no matter what God did it looked hopeless so that they would never go but yet Moses in his heart knew because God had said that he would lead his people out that it was going to happen and therefore he was ready and this meal when it happened they either last meal could you imagine all the people of Israel and saying okay this we're gonna have this last meal i want you to eat it get ready to go eat it quickly we're, we're gonna leave the next morning and, and the, the unbelief when the people says we know that the israelites were not a people of faith not really you, say, you said that before but look what happened Moses stands as the last. And he, as a, a, an acceptance of what God has said, he is ready. He is prepared. He believes despite the evidences of the past, God has said. And so they eat the Passover meal and they, they, they do this. The Passover meal is actually a, actually a, A picture of what was going to happen to Christ. Not that he was barbecued or anything like this. But he gave his life. As the Lamb of God. He gave his life. For all of those who would have peace with God. They killed the the lamb. The sheep. They took the blood of it. The people of the families. Everyone who who was there. They consumed all of the. uh, All of the, the carcass of the animal. They ate the bread. They were ready to go. And that's says us, we share in Christ. It he nourishes us. He strengthens us. The blood, of course, they took, it says, in the sprinkling of blood, and they, they took the hyssop, not a brush, but like a, a bush, and they dipped it in the, the, the big basin of blood and they splashed the door frames of their house with it. As an indication of atonement, as an indication of their faith, not simply in that sacrifice, but in the sacrifice that God would provide through Jesus Christ in the future. We know that it wasn't the, the, murdering, the, the murdering, you can't murder an animal, the killing of this animal that delivered them. This was just a symbol. The, this, the animal's death was just a symbol of the man who would die for them. Of the blood that would be spilt for them. It was a visible representation of what Jesus would do for them and for us. And therefore Moses, with the sprinkling of the blood... The blood was sprinkled and therefore when the angel of death or death himself was released in Egypt. He passed over those houses that had been marked. That had been secured. Those who had made the statement of faith. Who had partnership together with Christ. Accepted him as their Lord and as their Saviour. But for the Egyptians, for those idol worshippers, for those who were... Content in their perversity and their idol worship. There the angel of death struck, and the curse of death came upon them. And the firstborn of every household died the people and the animals as a, a sign, a testimony, as a witness, as a demonstration of God's superiority over the gods of Egypt. And as that happened there, we know that when Christ returns and the end comes and God pours out his judgment upon the earth, it will be only those who have the mark of Christ upon them who will be spared. Those of us who have symbolically, now we don't walk around with bushes of blood and splash our door frames what has been done to us has been done as a spiritual sense the Holy Spirit has sealed us has marked us but it is only that those people the Bible tells us who will be spared from the judgment that is to come Moses did this by faith it wasn't the case of he did it you know he had to do it it was rules and regulations and you know he did it because of the faith that God would provide that lamb, that future sacrifice, the one who would die in his stead. And in doing so, he was delivered. And, and in exactly the same way, we today, when death comes for us, when death comes for us, beloved, will you be standing by yourself uncovered? Will you be trusting in your own merit? In your own ability? Will you be trusting in the, the death of one who died for you? One who took upon himself the full weight of God's wrath in order that you might be free, in order that you might depart from the slavery of Egypt and enter into the glorious promised land? Beloved, it says here, by faith they crossed the Red Sea, that is the Israelites. As if they were on dry land. And when the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. Beloved, the Red Sea is a picture of life, from life unto death. It is the picture of the believer moving from this world into the next. It is the picture of one. Who has been rescued by God and been delivered from the slavery of Egypt, from the slavery of this life of faithlessness and being brought into that glorious promised land, that safe place that God would have us in? It was only those who had fled Egypt. It was only those who had been marked, who had eaten of the feast and been marked by the blood. Those who had identified with the God of the Israelites, they're the only ones who crossed on dry land. The whole idea of dry land is not even, not even there wasn't even moisture, it wasn't damp, it wasn't splash, splash, plop, plop. Like you go for a walk in the woods today and all your splash, splash, plop, plop. It's supposed to be dry in the forest and yet the ground is very wet. When the Israelites crossed through the the Red Sea, the ground was as dry as the desert. There was no moisture there. Not one. Death did not touch them. Yet, in comparison, when the Egyptian army, when they were closing in, when they were following behind, when they sought to do the same thing that the Israelites had, they did not do it by faith, but they did it just by you know, their own merits and power. The Bible says that the waters collapsed in upon them and they were drowned, Pharaoh and his army. This is a picture of what happens to a person who tries to come into God's promised land by any other means than the blood of Jesus Christ. If you do not come in the way God has prescribed, you will not come in. A faithless person does not enter into the kingdom of God because the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. For everyone who comes to Him must first believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Beloved, here we have the contrast of the people of this world and the people of the kingdom of Christ's world. Let us aspire to be more faithful as Moses was faithful. Let us not be caught up or (sighs) convinced or to be made into cowards to compromise our faith. Let us stand strong in the way. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, O God, that you'd help us. Lord, that we would... Be those who stand for the kingdom in a fallen generation. That Lord, we like Moses might be to be those who call our generation to accountability. That Lord, we would not faint or be afraid. That Lord, we would not be caught up in some kind of perverse game. Lord, where we pretend that we are in the kingdom. But like Moses, Lord, we would gladly represent you. That Father, we would continue in the faith, that we would walk in it. Help us who are adults, Lord, to be able to be examples of how the faith is to be lived. Lord, what it means to know you. How it is to exist in a world that rejects you. Oh God, we pray that you would press upon every heart, Lord, the need for the Passover. Lord, the, the, the feast of the Lord Jesus Christ that we would partake of your body, that we would eat of your flesh. Lord, that we would know you in a true and real sense, that, Lord, you would help us to remember the the necessity for the sprinkling of the blood, that we would receive you as our sacrifice, our propitiation, that, Lord, you are our atonement and our redeemer. Help us, O God. Please, Spirit, do your work, Lord. Speak into the hearts of those around us. Oh God, that we might bring glory to your name. We ask us for your glory and your glory alone in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.